But I want you to understand that it's not enough to have right doctrine and right theology if we don't love as God has taught us to love. It's not worth it to have big buildings and big celebrations and gatherings if we don't love like God has taught us to love. Welcome to The Barnabas Effect with Paul Purvis, Senior Pastor of Mission Hill Church, a multicultural, multi-generational, multiplying church focused on shining the light and love of Jesus like a city on a hill. You're invited to visit any of the three locations in Temple Terrace and Tampa. For information and locations, visit missionhill.org. That's missionhill.org. Now, with today's message, here's Pastor Paul Purvis. Have you ever had those moments in your life where you were so overwhelmed with something, with with the circumstances, with the events, with the difficulties, that you just needed to know that somebody was there? You needed to feel like somebody cared. Psychiatrists tell us that The greatest needs of human beings are the need to be needed, the need to be wanted, and the need to be loved. We all need to be needed. We all want to be wanted, and we all long to be loved. Maybe one of the most clear illustrations of this is a quote I saw from Robin Williams. Maybe at a time, the funniest man on the planet eventually took his life in despair. He was quoted to have said, I used to think the worst thing in life was to end up alone. It's not. The worst thing is to end up in life with people who make you feel alone. As we gather today as the church, individual followers of Jesus who've come together, I want you to understand that is why the church is so important. That is why we have to get this right. Because all around us are people who feel alone, who feel like no one is listening, who feel like no one cares. They may feel even like their prayers are unanswered. Perhaps you've come in today, if that's you, in that place, you've come to the right place. I've spent a lot of time in hospital rooms, sometimes as a pastor. Perhaps I visited you in the hospital. I'm encouraged when I make hospital visits. Those are life-giving times for me. I've been in a hospital room as a patient. That is not fun. In fact, I'm a typical man, which means I'm a very bad patient. I'm pretty wimpy. I don't like visitors in the hospital. I've also been there as a person that's caring for somebody that I love. That's probably the hardest Over the last several months, I even spent time in an ICU. It was a Thursday night in September that I got the call that my dad was being rushed to the hospital with a major brain bleed. 
a friend of mine from South Carolina flew down here to the Tampa Executive Airport. He, he picked me up in his little plane and we flew back. So about midnight, we landed in the small town of Hartsville, South Carolina. I got in a truck and I drove over to the hospital in Florence. Everything was closed. So I went through the emergency room and wove my way around to find the surgical ICU unit. It was surgical because at any moment, dad, as a result of this brain bleed, could have been taken into surgery. ICU stands for intensive care unit. Things are different when you're in ICU. The level of care is different. They're checking on you at all times. Because of dad's brain condition, they would come in every hour and perform what they would call a neuro check. Mr. Purvis, can you tell us your name? Do you know your name? How about your birthday? Can you move your fingers? How about your toes? The level of care is different. I remember a nurse we had. She found out dad was a Marine. She too was a retired Marine. She was in her mid-60s. And when she came in for that late shift in the middle of the night, she looked at me as I prepared to go get a couple of hours of sleep. And she said, don't worry. I'm a Marine. I've got your dad's back. Those nurses would come in there regularly and check. The level of care is different. The, the level of concern is different too. You're thinking about life and death. It's not like just being in a hospital room. You could, you could be in the hospital because you've had something minor that's taken place. But if you're in ICU, it, it's gotten pretty serious. So like in our case, we, we were told by neurosurgeons, by the doctors that would come and visit, your dad may not make it. He may not live through this so you're talking about and thinking about things you don't always talk and think about and then the demonstration of compassion it's it's different too isn't it and my dad couldn't respond back at me when we were in the ICU room but I could talk to him I I could tell him I I love you I I could earnestly and sincerely share with him how, how much I cared about him. Everything else begins to pale in comparison to the expression of love. I remember one moment in, in, in particular, dad wasn't responding. And as I did often, and as I still do today, because he's not in the hospital, he's in nursing care under hospice, and he's still not communicative. And so I'd hold his head in my hand and rub his forehead and just say, daddy, I love you. I was doing that. Nobody but he and my mom and I were in the room and he kind of snapped out of things for a second and he looked straight in my eyes and he said, not, I love you too, not love you, son. He said, love your mama. It's like, sir, yes, sir. I mean, (laughs) what in the world? The expressions of love demonstrated in in that moment. And I, I think about all that I experience, that, that level of care and, and that level of concern and that level of compassion. And then I think about us, Christ followers, together, the body of Christ, the church. And I realize that the church should be an intensive care unit. The church is not intended to be a museum where saints come and sit and display. The church is a hospital for 
sick and hurting sinners like me, where, where we experience the healing salve, the, the bomb of Gilead, the Bible calls it, the touch of Jesus, the one who heals. It should be a place of deep compassion. The church must be a place where people are loved with intensive care. Over the last several weeks, we've introduced in this new year the idea that if we're not going to respond now, when will we respond? If not now, when? And as we look for these next several weeks at this idea of intensive care, I want to still ask that question. If now is not the time where we make changes, if we adjust and we seek to get it right, if we're not going to do that now, when are we going to do it? Take your copy of God's word and turn with me near the end of the book. First John chapter four. The last book of the Bible is the revelation just before that. And just before the book of Jude, that little one page book, you'll find first, second and third John written by John the apostle. The same John that wrote the gospel, John He's the elder statesman of the church. He has lived now to see a generation of Christ followers after the resurrection begin to live out this Christian life. He's late in life, kind of the last man standing of those who had walked with Jesus. And it's interesting. He summarizes what it's all about. He summarizes the journey of faith. Based on how we live, you would think he said something like this. If you want to know God, just go to church. If you want to know God, dress right. If you want to know God, there are certain songs you sing and certain things you shouldn't sing. But he doesn't. When he's summarizing, when he's encapsulating all that the Christian life is about, he talks about something that is very familiar, but to most people greatly unknown he talks about the love of god hi i'm paul purvis the lead pastor of mission hill church right here in tampa bay thanks for taking the time to listen to today's the barnabas effect it's a ministry intended to encourage equip and empower you you may not know this but this ministry is made possible because of the generosity of listeners like you we are able to be on the air because listeners like you are gracious and give to this ministry. Would you consider making a gift today? It would be our honor to send you a gift, a resource, as a result of your gift of any size. And you can make that gift by going to missionhill.org and clicking on the banner that says The Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to The Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. There's a book that's entitled The Original Jesus, and you see that title and you begin to wonder what it's about. So I I read one of the reviews, and one of the reviews of the book The Original Jesus said, this book presents a Jesus who's different than we would have chosen, but better than we could have ever imagined. And you kind of begin to understand that because we would make Jesus be one thing, just like the disciples wanted him to to be one thing. But the the Jesus who lived and died and, and rose again, he's different, but he's better. And I think the same thing could be said about love. 
When you look in God's word and you see what biblical love really is, you see that love may be different than how we have defined it. It's different, but it's better. First John chapter four, we're going to start reading in verse seven. Now, if you see something on these screens that is highlighted, I want you to say it out loud with me, okay? First John chapter four, verse seven, this is the word of God. Beloved, let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Hey, what do you think the theme of this passage is? Let's pray together. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask you to speak. Now, you've spoken because we've just read your perfect written word. But you are a living God speaking into the hearts and minds of men and women today. So we ask that you do that, teaching us what we do not know, giving us what we do not have, making us into people that we've not yet become for your glory. And God, there are those here who need to know your love. They, they feel unloved. They are that person that is crying out, is anyone listening? Is anyone here? Lord, I need someone. God, would you make yourself known today? Lord, others of us need to learn to love like you. God, would you convict where that is needed and comfort where that is needed, but may we all walk out of here different because we've been here. Now, God, it still boggles me that you choose to use the messenger. You tell us how will they know if your word is not preached. And so here I stand a sinner in need of your grace and in need of your love as the messenger. So I simply ask, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O oh God, my strength and my redeemer. Use this time for your glory. And I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Look at how 1 John 4 begins, the word beloved. In the Greek, it's the word agapotope, which literally means you who have been divinely loved, you who have been recipients, you have received the love of God. So when you look at a passage of scripture, one of the first things you do is say, okay, what is this relevance to me? Is this speaking to me? Here's what you need to ask. Have I encountered, have I experienced the love of God? Am I a recipient of the love of God? If you are, then this is for you. 
How does it begin? It begins by reminding us that love is demanded. So, beloved, recipients of God, let us love one another. God demands that if we have encountered his love, we love one another. There's a lot said about love in our society today. But Scripture teaches us that love is not a choice. Love is a command. You're commanded to love. I often say Christ followers don't have the liberty to be unkind. The reason we don't have the liberty to be unkind is because we don't have the liberty to be unloving. We are loving because we have been loved. Love is demanded. But what is this love that is demanded? John goes on to say, beloved, love one another for love is from God. Love is originated from God, and he defines love by identifying himself. Love defined is this. God is love. Say that with me. Say, God is love. If God is love, then any discussion we have about love must begin with God. You can't attempt to say that you know what love is. You can't attempt to pretend that you are showing love if you don't begin with the definition of love that comes from God. You can't talk about what love is. You can't talk about what love means without talking about God because God identifies himself as love. It's an identification moment. Each of us have an identity. Some of those we've chosen, some of those we've not. Part of my identity is that I'm a white man. I'm Caucasian. Just for the record, I didn't choose that. I didn't have any say in that. But that's part of my identity. I can't escape that. Part of my identity is the other part of that phrase, I'm a man. Now, this is another topic for another discussion, but just for the record, I didn't choose that. I can't choose that. It's not my preferred being. It's, it's who I am. It's how God created me. It's part of my identity. I'm, I'm a white man, but, but there are some things that I've chosen that define me. I've chosen to be married. So in July, it'll be 27 years that Kimberly and I have enjoyed marriage together. I'm identified in that way. And so uh, for 27 years, I've worn this ring. I I don't take it off. When people see me, they know that's part of my identity. I've chosen to be a father. God blessed us with four sons by birth. And then we made a choice to adopt a daughter into our family. That's part of our choosing, but it's our identity. So I'm identified as a white man who's a dad and a father. That's a big part of who I am. But the best part of my identity is that by God's grace, I made the choice to receive his free gift of forever life. So now, like described in the Bible, my identity could be called in Christ. I'm identified as being in in Christ. That's a huge part of who I am. And just think about that for a minute, because if, you, if you've read God's word, that, what that means, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, that means when God the Father looks at you, he doesn't first see you, even though you are his creation and he loves you deeply, he sees the righteousness of his son, Jesus Christ. 
Because you are identified in him. All of that's identity. But God defines his identity as love. God is love. And we're near the end of the book, right? John, near the end of his life. One of the last of those first generation Christians to write down, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God, who God is, who God has revealed himself to be. God has revealed himself in different ways throughout scripture. In the Old Testament, the focus was on the law. And so God was primarily seen as righteousness. God as Kadesh. God is righteous. Then there began to be an emphasis on wisdom. And Solomon wrote the book of Proverbs. And we we see that desire to seek after wisdom. And, And what is that saying? God is wisdom. He was telling us to seek after God. And, and then the, the children of Israel went through difficulties and, and the, the temple was destroyed and, and their, their, their nation was captured and, and they were sent into exile. So what do they long for? Power. And so God is power. He's the mighty God. And all of these things are true. God has all these different attributes that describe and define who he is. But here at the end of scripture, John summarizes what we need to take home about who God is. And what does he say? God is love. God is love. And God has always been love. God was love before there was anyone there to love but God. So what does godly love look like? Well, John is describing that as he walks through these verses. If you read this, who do you hear that he's talking about? Now, I'm about to ask a question. I'm going to ask that again, but just in case you're new here. Usually when I ask a question, the answer is really easy. There's one answer that about 98.7% of the time in church, this is going to be the answer if I ask you to respond to the question. So who, who is John talking about when he describes love in 1 John 4? You're so smart. He's talking about Jesus. And what does Jesus teach us about love? Well, when we think about Jesus, we're reminded that that love is sacrificial. Because in in the book of John, John tells us in chapter 3 and verse 16 that God so loved. This is how he loved. Thus he loved the world that he gave his son so if you're trying to figure out, okay, what is love? What, what is love? Love is always costly. Just the facts. Love always costs. And so it costs God to love you. It costs God to love me. Love is sacrificial, but love is also selfless. When I think about how God loved us in the person of Jesus... It's something we can't fully understand. I'm going to confuse you to try to clarify something. The Bible teaches us that God is one in three persons. Isn't that confusing? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I don't think I'll understand until heaven how that all works. And maybe then it won't matter. I don't know. But that's what Scripture clearly teaches. And so what the Bible teaches us in John chapter 3 is that God the Father sent God the Son. And there was this moment of separation 
where out of selflessness, God did an act not for his benefit, but for your benefit and for my benefit. And you know what that teaches me about love? If I'm going to love like God, it's a selfless love. So quick test. Just look at your life. If you're living your life and it's all about you, if you're the king of the universe and the decisions you make and the choices you choose revolve always around what's best for you, then you're not living according to godly love because godly love is always selfless. You've been listening to The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis. The Barnabas Effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement. But it can't be done without your financial support. Go to missionhill.org and click on the Give tab. Your financial support helps us reach those seeking truth about God and themselves. Thank you for giving at missionhill.org. And join us weekdays at 9 a.m. for The Barnabas Effect with Pastor Paul Purvis on Faith Talk AM 570 and 910. 